You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So as we get into the third chapter of the Mishnah of Sukkah, we're going to get into the Lulav. We've learned for two chapters about the Sukkah, and now we're going to learn about the Lulav. And it seems almost as if it's a different mitzvah, because there's a different pasuk, and there are different halachot, and not quite as if we're beginning a different masachet, but almost as if we're beginning a different masachet, a different tractate. And so as we do, when we begin any tractate, we're going to begin just by looking at the pasukim. We're going to look at the verses, because of course the authors of the Mishnah have these verses in their heads. They know them off by heart. And in order to, if to, if you like, put our minds where their minds are, we need to start off where they start off, and they start off with the pasukim. And we're in the Pasha of Emor, in Sefer Vayikra. Ulkachtem lachem vayom harishon. You shall take for yourselves on the first day. The Torah here is speaking about the festival of Sukkot. Ulkachtem lachem vayom harishon. You shall take for yourselves on the first day. And now there's a list. Preates Hadar. The fruit of the tree Hadar. We don't really know what that tree is. Kapot tamarim, branches of palm trees. Well, we know ta- a tamar is a palm. Va'anaf eats avot, and the branch of a thick tree. Again, this eats avot is a thick tree. We don't really know what that is either. Ve'ar ve'nachal, and willows of the brook. That's pretty straightforward. Usmachtem lifnei Hashem alohechem shivat yamim. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. So there's a shopping list. There are these four objects we need to find. And we need to be happy for seven days. And that is essentially the material of the next two chapters of the Mishnah. How are we going to find these four objects? And how are we going to be happy? That's it. Now, We'll notice when we begin the Mishnah, by the way, that the Mishnah does not do any biological or botanical analysis. It seems to already know what these plants are, and it probably knows from the Sifra. The Sifra is the Halachic Midrash on Vaikra, and the Sifra learns out the, the biology for us, or the botany, and but the easiest way into the Sifra is actually to learn Rashi. So I brought you Rashi just to essentially give you a sense as to the Midrashim, which the rabbis know already when they start the Mishnah. And they're not going to repeat these Midrashim. So we said we don't know what the the tree Hadar is. And Rashi says, Hadar ba'ilano mishana l'shana. It is it, it's called Hadar because it, it lives. Hadar literally means which lives. Which lives in its tree from year to year. The Zehu Etrog. It's a fruit which lives on the tree from year to year, i.e. the Etrog can sit on a tree for more than one crop year. Etrog can sit on a tree for a long time. This is the Etrog. That's the Hadar. What are kapot marim? Rashi says chaser vav. 
Um, kapot is written without a vav, just chaf pei tof. And that means we only need one branch of those. So we only need one lulav, one uh, palm branch in our lulav. The eights, v'anaf eights avot, and the branch of a thick tree. Rashi then says, he, he, according to this edition, he's quoting the Talmud. I'm almost certain the Talmud is quoting the Sifra. She'anafav kluyim ka'avotot ve'chavalim. The branch of a thick tree is one whose boughs are, so to speak, plaited like ropes. Ropes are avotot and cords. And this is zehu hadas. This is the myrtle plant, the hadas which is actually made like a plait because the three leaves cover one another. And there's another common interpretation in the Sifra that because the leaves cover the, the, the trunk, this is somehow, this is the thick tree. Anyway, we know somehow what these trees are. And so the Mishnah is not going to bother. Just like the Mishnah doesn't bother telling you you have to read Shema. It just says, when do you read Shema? The Mishnah is going to tell us what these plants are, but it tells us something about them. Lulav pasul. A stolen or dry lulav is no good. It's not kasher. Shel asherah pasul. If it's come from an asherah or from a, a an ear and a dachat is well, it's a condemned city. It's an ear. It's a city that's gone to idolatry. And by the way, the mitzvah both for the Asherah and for the city that's gone over to idolatry is to burn everything there. So if you have a lulav from an Asherah or from a Yernidachar, a condemned city, you have to burn it. So clearly it's pasul for... Uh, well, you clearly you can't use it because you've got to burn it. Niktam roshor nifretsu alav pasul. If its top is broken off, or its leaves aren't attached, it's it's invalid. Nifredu alav, if the leaves are spread apart, it's kasher. Nifredu alav, kasher. Rabbi Yudah omer yaldenu milamala. Rabbi Yudah says, tie it together at the top. And by the way, and we do have a custom now, actually, to tie the kind of the lulav leaves together at the top so that they don't wave around too much. The thorny palms of the Iron Mountain. This seems to be some kind of special palm. And if there is a, if we've got three tfachim on our lulav, so that's about, hmm, that's about nine inches long. So lulav, which is sort of nine inches long, long enough to wave is kasher so don't have to be anywhere near as long as the lulavim that we take today now you might ask yourself and the commentators certainly ask why is a stolen lulav invalid lulav hagazul pasul and i wanted to just go back and remind us about the verse the verse in vaikra ulukachtem lachem you shall take for yourselves. And one idea brought by the Gemara is that a stolen lulav isn't your lulav. It's not kosher because 
it's not your lulav. You haven't taken your lulav. You've taken someone else's lulav. And we'll see a bit later that indeed make, shaking a lulav that belongs to someone else, maybe borrowing a lulav, is slightly problematic. But the Gemara, it's very interesting. The Gemara takes this idea that a stolen lulav is no good because it's not your lulav, and it rejects it. It rejects it. Perhaps, you know, if the owner has already given up, maybe the thief does have title to the lulav. And it comes with a different idea that the stolen lulav is invalid because you can't fulfill a mitzvah by carrying out a, a misdeed. You can't fulfill a mitzvah by stealing something. Not because of doubts about ownership, but because of the ethical issue, the moral issue. A mitzvah which is fulfilled with a criminal act is not a mitzvah which is fulfilled. And that's an incredibly important lesson that the Gemara learns from this first Mishnah, from the first, uh, from the very, very beginning of the third chapter of Sukkah. You can't carry out a mitzvah if you begin it with an act which is not, uh, you can't begin a mitzvah by beginning an illegal act. That's a, f a fundamental principle. Even though technically you may own the lulav, maybe the thief does have, does really have ownership over the lulav, but you cannot fulfill a mitzvah with an illegal act. And the next two Mishnayot actually repeat exactly the same, con that same the same concept. So we've had lulav hagazul v'yabesh pasul, and now we're going to repeat hadas hagazul v'yabesh pasul. A stolen or dry hadas is invalid. Shel asherah v'shel ha'irani dachat pasul. If it comes from an asherah or a condemned city, it's invalid because there's a mitzvah to burn it. If there's a mitzvah to burn it, then clearly we can't fulfill the mitzvah with it. Nik tam roshon nifritzu alav v'shehayu anavamurub. Well, nik tam roshon nifritzu alav. If its tip was broken off or its leaves were detached. And then the Mishnah starts to break off. Okay, from now on, now it's no longer a copycat of the, of, of the Mishnah we've already learned. Or Shehayu Anavav Murubat Me'alav. What if its fruits were more numerous than its leaves? And in this case, Pasul. There's some, it seems to be something about the myrtle, the Hadas, that there seems to be something essential about the leaves of the hadas. We need a hadas with leaves, which are in this um, plaited, in, in this, in this. Um, they're growing one on top of the other as if they're making a plait. They're covering up the the trunk of the hadas, and they have to be more numerous than the fruits. If the fruits are more numerous than the leaves, then it's no good. And the Mishnah continues, if he reduced them, it's kasher. So you can start, you can have a hadas with more fruit than leaf, but you just have to cut the fruits off. But the aim martin be yom tov. We're not going to cut them off on yom tov because I guess, I mean, if it's already attached from the ground, we could cut them off from a point of view of cutting, but I, we're not going to create, if the, if the hadas enters yom tov, Pasul, I don't think we're going to want to make it kasher on Yom Tov. I think that is probably what is going on there. So we repeat the Mishnah for the Hadas. And then we're going to repeat it again for the Arava. 
the willow. Arava gzula v'yevesha p'sula. A stolen or dry arava is invalid. Shel ashera v'shel yirandachat p'sula. One from an ashera or a condensed city is invalid. Same reason. Because if we ha- get a hold of this thing, it's our duty to burn it, not to put it to a mitzvah purpose. Nitam roshav v'nifritza aleha. Um... If its tip is broken off or if its leaves are detached, it's invalid. I'm actually not sure what a tzaf tzafa is. That might be something to research for tomorrow. If it's shriveled or it's lost some of its leaves or it's actually grown in rainwater, in a, in a rainwatered soil, so grown in a field which is watered by rain, it's kasher. So there can be something, in other words, the Arava in theory lives by the brook, right? It's 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 watered by the brook. And there's a discussion in the Gemara actually as to whether it's living by the brook or whether it's a type that lives by the brook or whether it's because the leaves are long and thin and they look like leaves or they look, you know, river shaped because they're long and thin. But even if it doesn't actually be water, if it's even if it's not watered by a brook, if it's watered by rain, it's still kasher, and we can still use it for our um, for putting together our four species. And then in the Mishnayot, will that follow, we'll learn more about actually how we put these species together. And of course, we'll learn about the fourth species, the etrog itself, which has a parallel Mishnah, practically a carbon copy of the first three, which we've learned today all of its own. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.